0: You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church, Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org.
1: ...stuff from here to St. Thomas's, And as you say, in the congestion, they charge you a lot of money just to even stand still for two seconds. So what we've got coming is a transporter that is electric...
0: And we want you to train as a driver. Uh,
1: yeah. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> but what we need is we need people to be t- trained to to drive it for that very reason. So we, we the, the people that um kindly gave us this bike, Fo Connect they are actually paying for people to be trained to um, ride the trailer and bike. We have four people that have actually completed the training up to date. We need more. We need more so we don't wear these four people out. So if you like cycling, if you're interested in saving the planet, if you want to help the NHS, if you want to help our Oasis community here, there is just, I'm not going to bore everybody now. Come and see me after. I've got hundreds of ways that you can do something to help this all happen.
0: Yeah, and the trip to St Thomas' is just about a quarter of a mile. So, and it's an electric bike, so you can get fit at the same time. But honestly, it's, it's, it's easy to do, but you've got to do the training. And the trip to um, Guy's is about just uh, between a mile and a quarter and a mile and a half so that's um, that's the you know mega workout. So what could be better? We're saving the planet, saving the NHS, and you can get fit at the same time. Yeah. So we uh, look. This is a big storage department, and we. This is a bit like the child catcher, if you've seen that. <laughs> right. Right. Ready? Right. Here we go. You're going to do Uh, Before I uh, talk to a second Diane in the same service, um, I'd just like to just fill in uh, a little bit about uh, the living space, because you know the living space is our other cost of living initiative, so most of you came in through the Oasis Centre, Then we're going to run the living space uh, at the Oasis Centre. Again, we're warming up for that, um, and that's the whole point, it's going to be a warm space you know, people call these things warm banks and warm spaces. But wherever Oasis works around the country, we've launched, as some of you will know, this initiative called The Living Room. And the idea is that we're open all day and uh, each evening as well, so that people can pop in, they can sit down, they can get a free coffee, free tea. Sometimes we're going to do community meals. We're going to have lots of events on, like our film night. If you've not seen Hidden Figures, it's a fantastic. A fantastic film about the black women that really did the math that got the Apollo uh, mission to the moon and then got completely forgotten and left out the story it's a brilliant uh, film but we're going to run a regular film night each week chess evenings uh, uh, karaoke uh, you know etc etc so the idea is that we keep the living room open all day as it is now, you know, we have knitting clubs, all sorts of things going on, but those who have been into it know that you can just pop in and sit down and have a coffee, you don't have to join in, it's just a place to relax. The great, the extraordinary thing about coffee shops, of course, is that you have to really pay, they've got an entrance fee, and it's about £3.50 for a latte or whatever. But um, if you're, you're stuck for cash, you can't pay the entrance fee so this is all of that without the entrance fee so we're going to run this all winter and as Di said um, we're going to have a version of the refill there so we got uh, at that meeting that Simon talked about after, straight after the service on the top deck of uh, the OSS Center we're just going to talk again a little bit of training for those of you who already volunteered thank you for Everything You know, come. we're going to run this on Saturday afternoons, etc., as well as the evenings. So it gives everybody a chance to get involved. And just friendship is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Friendship is, a, you know, it's the best thing you can give, isn't it? The, the most generous thing you can ever give to anyone is your time. So um, do pop in on that and find out how you can get involved, or if you're already involved, you know, how we're actually going to do this. So that, again, it launches from the day it gets darker. (laughs) Great. Okay. So it so happens that right here this morning, as Simon said, I'm going to introduce you to Diane, Diane Louise Jordan, who is my friend, and as uh, I used to present Songs of Praise a long time ago, and Diane presented it with me sometimes and all the rest of it. Uh, but I've known Diane a long, 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 long time. And before that, she was a Blue Peter presenter. <laughs> it so happens that here this morning, we have two Blue Peter <laughs> presenters. <laughs> <laughs> Who it. Uh, Who who work together, so uh, welcome to Diane and welcome to Anthea as well, Anthea it's great to see you uh, again as well, Anthea, big. we worked together on GMTV, Anthea was like the big boss and I did little bits, you know, shuffling in and out, but I got to know Anthea then and we've been friends ever since, but I'd like you to put your hands together and give Diane Louise Jordan a big welcome! <laughs>
2: It is on do you know um the technical team said to me all you need to do is put the button on for the mic to work and I've been sitting there fretting about this stupid button but thank you whoever whoever put it on for me and um yes he is a mate that I've known for a long time I knew him when I was about three and uh, <laughs> and Anthea was about uh, two and a half. <laughs> and we've been great friends ever since and i'm actually i'm really pleased to see anthea and her um beautiful gorgeous man mark they're they're truly lovely people she's one of the most loyal people i've i've known particularly in showbiz land and uh, so i'm i'm really chuffed that you're here today and and he's all right isn't he <laughs>
0: So, um, as you know, um, this is Black History Month. You also know that we don't just do Black History in Black History Month. There's something really wonderful about Black History Month, isn't there? And there's something really awful about it, in that you might feel that you can consign any conversation about the multicultural, multi-ethnic mix of our country to October. That would be a bad thing, wouldn't it, Diane? I, you
2: know, I, as you say, it's um, it's. It's great because there's an opportunity to hear about um, a part of our community that doesn't really get that much airtime through the rest of the year. Uh, but there is something weird about, uh, I think, putting anybody in a box and saying, you know, you belong to this little label and this little box and you're in that little area and you only speak at that point of time. Um, being somebody who loves Jesus. You know, I just think, and obviously people in this room, you're, I'm assuming you're here because you love Jesus or you want to get to know who he is. Um, but there's something for me that really transcends all of that. It's that thing of, you know, in the Bible it says there's no Jew or Gentile. You know, we are all We are are all sons and daughters of God. And so sometimes we get caught out in this valley of what I call the valley of despair where we're all sort of, you know, trying to work out what little box we fit into and what label we can tick and, you know, and only sort of be confined to that and hope people will like us. Um, God's asking us to come to the mountaintop and just, you know, and, and to remember that we are all brothers and sisters and we, and, you know, he is our father you know, and if you use Jesus as the example, he was confident, he knew where, he knew who he was, he knew where he came from. It says in, in John 8, it says, I, I love it. Um, honestly, if you, I, I, I encourage you to read the John 8, the whole chapter. And one of the things that really, um, see, I can speak more than him, but anyway, here comes the preach. Do I, I, you
0: know, I, I, somebody said to me, how are you going to get Diane talking? It's going to be difficult. <laughs>
2: on the subject of jesus and i'll and i I won't stop um i think we have something in common there um no but seriously the 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 whole chapter of john 8 it's it's a really powerful um it's a really powerful chapter because it starts at the beginning with this lady the um, the woman who's caught in adultery being condemned and jesus says you know well you without sin you, you throw the first stone and nobody's able to but then he gives this really challenging, um, has this sort of really challenging discussion with the Pharisees, because they're trying to trap him, and they're trying to say, well, what do you stand for? Who's in? Who's out? What, you know, what, what do you, who, who's one of your friends? What, what is it to, to get to the, you know, to be in the Jesus clan? And he's really clever. Well, he's, he's not actually, he just, he does the thing that he, he encourages us to do, to get out of that valley of despair where we're all trying to compete with each other and trying to get acceptance from other broken people. And he's saying, come up to the mountaintop with me. And he's really clever the way he does that and he's so confident. He's saying, yeah, they they challenge him about him saying who he is. And he says, yeah, I can say that confidently because I, and he's not cocky. He says, I can say it confidently because I know where I come from and I know where I'm going to. And I also, I know who my father is You know, there's such a solid security. He's so rooted in actually knowing his identity, being knowing that he's legitimized, knowing that he's here for a purpose, and I think that is the model that I always want to follow. So whenever I'm feeling that maybe I'm a little bit less than because I've been confined to Black History Month, I remember that I'm a daughter of the King Most High, and actually, My life, as with anybody else in this room who chooses to say he's their father, um, you know, we don't have those limitations. And that's one of the reasons why I started the making of Black British. You can ask the next question.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tough job being an interviewer. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) tell us about the making of Black History Black. I'll help you with the title. The making of black. <laughs> the making of black Britain. That's <laughs> it. I said it right. So this is Diane's fantastic project, and uh, it really is an extraordinary thing. So I was so keen that you know about this. So tell us about it.
2: Well, first of all, it's called the making of black Britain. I will tell you a little bit about the title in a minute. Um, and it, but it came about. Be, th- from my own personal need to really understand who I am, to get a a real strong sense of my identity, and my legitimacy. So I was born in um, 1960, even though I'm only three years old and Anthea's only two and a half. Work it out. Um, (laughs) And um, So I was born in Britain. At that time, my parents were first gen, I first generation black British. My parents are what some of us call, my gorgeous mum and dad. That's what they look like on their wedding day. (laughs) That's going to make me teary. <laughs> um, so uh, my mum and dad, they came to the UK in the 50s, and they're what's now known as the, uh, some people call the Windrush generation. So I'm first generation black British. I, um, I was born in London but went out to the home counties in, by the age of three, and most of my community was white, with the three black families in our community. And so from a very young age, and actually even before I left London, from a very young age, I knew that I was... Slightly different. British, but not completely British. Um, and my parents often talked about going back home. And I knew that there was this place in the Caribbean called Back Home. And maybe maybe that's where I belonged. And lots of people told me to go back home anyway. So, you know, I thought, well, at some point I will. So at the age of seven, I had the opportunity to go to Jamaica, which is where my parents come from. And the weird thing is, I, as and I'm not joking, as my sister and I were stepping off the plane, some baggage handler or something said oh look at the little English girls and I'm like I haven't even opened my mouth and I thought I was coming back home so although I was welcomed in Jamaica I didn't quite fit there although I born British I didn't quite fit here I've had a great life my life is really privileged really blessed but I also you know lots of people who look like me and were born in this country have the same dilemma. Anyway, at that time, I thought it was just me. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about my history because I think if, as as the Bible says, if you know where you come from, it gives you a sense of who you are, especially if you know where you're going. So um, I thought, well, I need to know a bit of my history. So I started asking my parents about their lives. Uh, At the beginning, they were quite reluctant to do this. This this was around about 2000. It took me a few years to do this. You know, they were getting older and I wanted to ask those questions and, you know, sort of a new time was running out. They were really reluctant to speak about their lives, partly because of the pain that they'd experienced both here and in the Caribbean, and also because they thought their lives weren't that important. So on the very few occasions that I was able to get them to sit down and speak, because my shorthand shorthand wasn't that good, I um, got my recording device out and I started recording their voices. Um, I thought I was probably going to write a book and maybe do a TV program about it. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to capture their stories. Anyway, fast forward to 2011. Both my parents died within six months of each other. And um, I was bereft, obviously, at losing my parents. I also didn't realize how much it made me feel like an orphan. You know, how much I was like, my gosh, they've got all this information about where I came from. And now it's gone. Um... But I was so grateful that I'd recorded their voices. And after they'd died, the voices became, hearing their voice became much more, because I was just using it as a way of, you know, a quick way of taking notes. Um, it became, to hear their voice, for them to tell their story p- directly, without me interpreting it, just seemed really profound. And I started sharing, you know, my sentiments about this with some of my other guy and girlfriends, um, first generation black British, and I found out that they too had the same, you know, that same di- dynamic of um, where do I belong and, you know, wanting to know their history and all the rest of it and that worry about their parents dying and their stories going with them. So um, I realized that my personal story wasn't just a personal story. It wasn't even just a story that affected them. I started also realizing that it was a much bigger story, that this The moment that my parents came to England was um, just after the 1948 Nationality Act had been passed, which actually triggered the mass migration of people of colour coming into this country. So we were actually really living, we were the product, we are the product of a really um, particular point in British history. And then I started realising it wasn't just affecting black Caribbean people or even black African or even Asian people, who in those days were called uh, black British as well. But all of us, you know, some, I had two girlfriends at, in junior school. And I'm still friends with them now. Um, one, her parents were then called Yugoslavian. So she was Yugoslavian, and my other friend was German, but they were white. And they assimilated really quite effortlessly. My parents were the real British ones. You know, we were British, the law said it. You know, the, the you know, Act of Parliament said we were British. And yet we... St- You know, I was still sort of regarded as a foreigner and even now um, we've got uh, children and grandchildren and it's so interesting to see that my grandchildren, you know, they and, and my nieces and nephews, they're still not quite sure, that's still that same dilemma, whereas my friends, their children have completely assimilated. So I I knew that this story belonged to all of us. We're all affected by each other's stories. You know, you were talking earlier on about how long you've known me and that you've, you know, you married Giles and I, Anthea and I, and and we've done so much together. And if Anthea was to tell a story, you know, your time on GMTV together, for instance, she'd tell it from her point of view. The same story, you'd tell it from yours. And i will tell it from my, well, I wasn't at GMTV, but you know, Keep I, my it up. mate was at the same time, so by association. <laughs> um, but you know, if there was an event or a story that was connected at, to us all at that time, we'd tell it from our different points of views, just like the four gospels, tell it from different points of views. They'd all be right, but they'd all be very different, but they'd show that all our lives connect with one another. So when does my black British story end and your. You know, I I was going to say your white British story, but I don't even know if that's true. Because, you know, we're so made up of so much. The other thing I was going to say about this particular moment in history is that that act, the 1948 act, in a sense, it's the pivot point between Britain's imperial past and what we now call modern-day Britain that has all this glorious wealth of uh, diversity and, you know, different cultures and all the rest of it. it's connected, because in 400 years before that act, and this is why we've got the title, 400 years ago before that act, Britain started venturing out to other countries, and all those countries that it ventured out to, it, rather than, as in Rome does the Romans, it actually started encouraging those countries, I'm saying this very politely, to be British. So they were all British, they were all Britons, they were all British subjects, so... The black, Brit- black British thing started 400 years ago. That Act just formalised it, and, and 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 started seeing people of colour and you know difference on mainland. Yes, yeah, so it's difference.
0: it's really interesting. The reason I exist as a person at all is in my dad. You know, I'm half Indian, half English. My dad, Indian, at the Petition of India, which was 1948 as well, uh, decided 47. to 47, 48. Yeah, yeah. Came to well, it. <laughs> well it took it took a, the, the truth is it took a long time you know from when, sorry, no, Steve, from, that when was it, from when it was passed to when it was enacted yeah. and uh, so when it was enacted, then my dad came here because he was part of the empire and um, and uh, and because he came here, he met my mum and boom there I am exactly
2: you know. exactly, and actually funnily enough, both my parents are from Jamaica but um, I wouldn't have known, they may, not, they may not have known each other in Jamaica, so both of us may not have been here, and I, I would love to catch your story, Steve, because he's really interesting, isn't he? I was going to say, white English man, and I was like, are you? No, you're not. I know you're not. But your story is very much connected to the same place in history as my story,
0: as, as is Anthea's as well. So, so yeah. I've got a question for you then. Why have you called it The Making of Black Britain?
2: Because Britain started making it... It started changing its colour, if you like, from the f- 400 years ago. But so it's really a-
0: about the making of Britain.
2: But Britain... It, well that's another conversation so that's another conversation seriously if you st- the, the the one of the real driving questions that i had when i started this archive is what does it mean to be british you know how what is this thing called britishness we've had so many discussions not just people of color but all of us what makes us british is it because we live on this island or is it because we're a subject to the king or the queen but you know Is it to do with, um, you know, our connection to the Commonwealth? It's a really interesting conversation. And actually, if you dig even deeper than that, what we're really saying is, where do we belong? Who am I? Where do I belong? What's the meaning of my life? And that is the eternal question for anybody, every single one of us, whatever class, colour, creed, generation, gender, whatever it is, you know, whether we're in Europe... In Africa, wherever, that is the universal question. Who am I? Why am I here? You know, what, what, where do I belong? And so that's why, and and that's, and it's, it stirs up those questions because even to call ourselves black British, is that a good idea? I don't know. Black Britain? Black history? What? I never knew that history had a colour, to be quite honest. So it's just, it just opens a conversation.
0: So, And, and and
2: you're all welcome. I want all your stories.
0: Yeah. And you're so w- what you're doing with the project is you're, you're recording people's stories. and you are making little films as well? So
2: w- there's two things we're doing. We are doing a o- traditional oral history where we sit for a minimum of three hours with somebody um, up to about 12 hours, sometimes longer, not in one sitting. Uh, in the comfort of their home or wherever they feel comfortable, we get their story. They just speak. And can I just say... There's something really powerful about allowing someone to just speak and not interrupt them, not debate and tell them that they're wrong or anything like that, but just to actually get to know them. And when somebody who, because a lot of the people that we've, um, we've um, collected their stories, they're not, some of them are really super famous and gorgeous, and, some, and, and a lot of them aren't. And we, you know, just one example, one gentleman, he was in um, a drop-in center for the over 70s, I think. And um, the people there just said, oh, do you want to speak to one of the old people? Well, talk to Peter, he's a right little chatterbox he is, you know, oh, he, I don't know, he doesn't really do anything much, but you know, he's very friendly. So we went along, we spoke to chatterbox Peter, and he, he was very chatty, just like me and my friend. And, um, and he allowed us to come to his home and capture his story. And my word, I am so glad we got his story he 's a magnificent human being who has su- he 's made such a contribution to this country, and he cares so much, but he his story would have just gone if we hadn 't done this so that 's one way of capturing stories, and we do get you know people who are seen to be significant in in our society as well because all our stories are important. Um, but there is something really powerful about being heard. And, and then, then we the have these, these digital films. stories. And these are tiny little co-created stories that um, you, well, you make with us. And uh, we're going to show you two. We do rerun the, these workshops, two-day workshops, uh, for a group of about 30 people. And we work with you, and you then develop your own story based on one of the themes about, around uh, uh, the story collection. So, um, is it... Can we watch one? Eddie? Yeah, I
0: think we can.
3: Yeah.
2: They can be this simple.
3: John and Mary. What can you know from a two-dimensional picture? You didn't even give it to me. I took it from my mum's house when she died. it right in my bedroom next to her ashes ever since. I'm staring at this photograph now. I imagine how your voices sounded. I imagine how you smelt, I imagine how different things could have been if you would have just accepted me, loved me. You rejected me with prejudice, you rejected my sisters before me and you never once laid eyes on me, you never held me in your arms, you never spoke to your daughter again. Or because of the colour of my skin? An abomination to the Lord. Was there even a space in your heart that I should have been? Or did you just give it away to a white human being? You were the first people to show me racism. And I wasn't even born yet. I now have a grandson and I wonder how you could do this. How you could go through life knowing I existed, and refusing to acknowledge me as part of your bloodline. I try to imagine never setting eyes on my grandson, but I can't. His smile, it warms my heart. Maybe I could have given you something to smile about. But you never gave me the chance.
4: Wow. We've
2: got one more story, if we can just hear that. Um, also, just to say that we have some um, some cards that you can... All the stories are up on the Google platform at the moment, and uh, we've got some QR cards that you will... I think it will come up later on anyway, and you'll be able to catch some more of some stories. One more, please, and then, we, um, then we'll move on.
4: An old but newly discovered photo of the village cricket team reopened poignant memories for me of my rural childhood. For in the middle of the front row sat my father George and on the left at the end my stepfather Len. (laughs) They'd played cricket together. I hadn't realised that. Our families had been next door neighbours and we had a hole in the hedge through which we as children could travel to the wonder and the freedoms of each other's gardens. It was just wonderful. But eventually, divorce blighted both families. My father left us, and Len became my stepfather. My brother, Anthony, and I had a new sister, Linda. And Sadie, our golden Labrador, had a new doggy sister, Jenny, the black Labrador who had lived next door. And actually, we also had Dusty, the small dog, and Tiddles, the cat. So we became a new family. An example of Japanese kintsugi, perhaps. But of course, the missing ingredient is my dear, beautiful and beloved mother, Marie. And that, as we say, is another story But now I see the connections of her life to mine in a new way. My mother once said that she knew one day I would go to Africa. How did she know that? For she was right. I went to Liberia, West Africa, and lived there. And I'm so grateful for lifelong friendships formed with people of different backgrounds, colour, and culture. And I have a testimony of God's faithfulness and protection during seven years of Liberia's civil war. So I think about the hole in the hedge, about two families becoming one, with struggle and tension, yes, but also love amongst family members that is expanded to three generations now, Through making this small story, I realise that my passion for reconciliation, understanding, and welcoming acceptance of those who are different from me started long ago in a small village. And I am thankful.
2: you know, um, I've obviously listened to those stories so many times. There's are so many. And um, I, I, can't, I can't stop being emotional listening to those little snippets. In a few minutes, you have so much about a person's life. We are so, as the Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made. And I just believe that it's really important for all of us to, be, to document our lives. Because each and every single one of us. We make history, and we know that history is not just connected, connected to a colour or an, some tiny little box that we're trying to be stuffed into. We're far, more, we're far more precious than that. So I really encourage everybody. I mean, I really hope that um, you know, we can even maybe run a workshop here in Oasis where we encourage people to come and create your stories, and you keep this as well. So it's, it's something to pass on to members of your family as well, and uh, all are welcome.
0: That's great. So, how, how can we find out more, Diane? Just tell us, there it is, that's what you were promising.
2: That's it. So, I mean, I don't know if you can use your phones now and uh, click away, because we would really love to, um, we'd really love to give you an opportunity to speak so that you are really heard that your story is actually recorded in your words, not with anybody twisting it. And to, so that, and, and, and be in a situation that you are heard because we all, that's, I, you know, in, in, I was reading, I was going to get it out John's gospel. It actually says in John eight forty seven, 47, the words are, uh, do you know what I'm going to read it to you? Just your QE code, see if I can find this. And and then, you know, um, I don't have much to say after that, but, um, Everything we need for life and godliness is actually in the Bible. It's if if we just stay aligned to Him and not listen to all the naysayers. Literally, listen. Um, it says again, those who do the will of my Father. Um, um, you know, it, we know we know that we love Him by the way that we come, that we obey God. You know, literally, just come into alignment, truly surrender, and um, and the rest, the rest is um, straightforward. I think. Um, Okay, I can't find it. But basically, the, the, go to John eight forty seven, and it literally talks about being able to speak, being able to be heard, and so that we really do know that we belong to God. It's there in the it's there in the Bible. So it's there.
0: <laughs> Everyone's looking up at the moment, so good. that's good. Good. Yeah, that's really good. good. So thank you very much, Diane. This has been really enlightening, hasn't it? An extraordinary thing. We are together. We're we're joined together we are one humanity
2: and we're making we're making history we're telling our story because he knows us he designed us before the foundation of the earth all praise to jesus and i'm done thanks
0: <laughs> round of applause Thanks, Diane, that's really brilliant. So we've just got a little bit uh, more to do. I'm gonna, we're going to sing, I think. I'm going to welcome back Simon, and uh, then I'm going to tell you a story, and then we're going to... Tony had this particular love, care for Haiti and the Dominican Republic. You know, it's one island, and it's shared between these two countries, and Tony's done some extraordinary work there, development work there. But he told me a story that he's told me before... And it's a story that he always says he's not proud of. Um, um, Haiti has had a checkered political uh, history, and and then there was a giant earthquake in 2010, and uh, and there'd been various coups, and the poor always lose out. Do you know, when the powerful are fighting, the poor get forgotten. Don't we know that? Um, and uh, Tony t- t- told me again this story. He said, he said. There was so much poverty, and I was there doing all I could. And I was at the airport, this little airport there, and I was preparing to get home uh, to America. And the political situation in the country was really dangerous, and it was really dangerous for me to even be there. And I was preparing to get on this little Cessna plane. And as I was preparing to get onto the Cessna plane, somehow a mother broke through the fence of the airport. And she ran up to me holding her baby, this little baby in her arms. And she reached out with her baby. And she said, please, sir, take my baby, take my baby, take my baby, please take my baby. And Tony didn't know what to do. And he said, I can't, I can't, I can't. And she's wept, And she, Tony says she kneeled at his feet and, and held up her child and said, please take my baby, take my baby. But Tony said, I can't, I can't. There was loads of rules and regulations and red tape and blue tape and every other kind of tape you can think of, obviously. And he climbed into the Cessna and the engines were started and the plane flew up into the sky. And he looked back and he saw that mother still holding her baby and pleading as the plane Flew away. Tony told me this story years ago. And he told me it again the other day. And as he told me this story, he's now paralyzed, basically. But as he told me this story, he wept again. And he said, Steve, do you know? That was the biggest mistake I think I've ever made in my life. And he said, from it, I learned this. What Danielle read to us that every person every human being is made in the image of God and he said and it rang around my head as the plane f- flew the words of Jesus when you do it for the least of these my brothers and my sisters you have done it for me and he said I came to the realization Steve that as I looked at that baby that was Christ Jesus said when you do it for the least of these you are doing it for me not a metaphor a reality we find Christ in one another that's what the tragedy of when Christian worship or any other kind of worship gets detached from love and commitment to one another we are one we do fit together I um, wondered if you'd switch to my laptop just a minute. I close by telling you this story, except to say, in the middle of that, before I tell you about this guy, that um, that's what the living space is all about. That's what the refill is all about. That's what Black History Month is about. That's why it's British history that we're. It's who we are. And we are strongest when we're together and we walk for each other and with each other and are committed to one another. And we're always weakest when we live in that fantasy world for a few moments in the middle of our lives normally when we think we can do it by ourselves because we're strong. It doesn't work. On um, Tuesday uh, at 330 um, sky tv are coming and um if you're a parent in, in in here well if you're not a parent and you are free at 30 come along and we're going to get some kids from uh johanna you know oasis primary school and from south bank school here second uh, secondary school as well because sky uh, are doing a kind of version i'm sure at uh, diane and anthea it won't be anywhere near the quality that you produced but sky at tv are making a kids program because they want children to understand they're going to put it on apps as well as out they want children to understand the cost of living crisis and our human responsibility to one another so they're coming to film here and they want to talk to some children as well as some adults from 3 30 on on tuesday um and i promised them i had to do it whilst i was hopping between these countries I promised them that there'd be some children here do you know and they are, know all about this which they do and all the rest of it but it's not just for children it's for us and this is an, another way of telling this great story of inclusion so who is this man an extraordinary man his name was Metropolitan Cyril um, when I used to work for Songs of Praise, a program that I didn't make with uh, uh, anth- uh, with um, Diane, yeah, with Diane, but I made with Sir Cliff Richard. <laughs> so uh, Cliff Richard and I had the privilege of going to uh, Bulgaria, uh, to Sofia, the capital city, and uh, and making a program about the struggles of the people that lived there. And I learned this story when I was there. When you go to Sophia and you stand in front of the big uh, station, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like our kind of King's Cross or Paddington, but on the smaller version. Uh, but when you stand in front of the grand station uh, uh, there, there's a statue of this man. In life, he stood six feet, four inches tall he was the leader of the orthodox church in Bulgaria during the second world war and then he had a mitre that went on top of his head so you can imagine a six foot four man with this giant hat on top Bulgaria as you probably know Um, during the Second World War, found itself in a terrible position. It was a neutral country, but Hitler had invaded all the other countries around. And so it joined uh, Hitler's alliance, axis of countries. It became part of that, uh, uh, that Nazi alliance. And Hitler installed some puppet leaders. In actual fact, without getting boring about it, there there, there were three different presidents of uh, Bulgaria through that time. And they were all puppets of Hitler. And Metropolitan Cyril found himself in this situation. From all of the Axis countries, Jews were being deported to Auschwitz. From Poland, etc., etc. I don't need to remind you of that story. And the time came to begin rounding up the Jews from Bulgaria to take them to the death chambers. This began on a particular night. You can read the story. And on the particular night, when the Jews from the city of Sofia and surrounding district had been rounded up and put in pens and the trains arrived to begin loading them. They say it was a dark and foggy night. And Metropolitan Cyril decided this was not to be. He was renowned in the country. And on that night, as the officers in charge of the rounding up in the pen of these Jews, thousands of them there already, as the loading got underway, Metropolitan Cyril arrived at the station by foot, a giant of a man with a huge gait, And he stood in front of these guards who knew him, who faced him with guns And he said to them, I want you to set these people free. We are not doing that, they said. He said, you will do that. And then, as hundreds of them could hear him, Jews, he simply said this. It's a quote, as many of you will know, from the Hebrew Bible, from the book of Ruth. Metropolitan St. Cyril, at the top of his voice, said to everyone around, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Then he said to the guards, load me up load me on the train no one moved so he strode into the compound and he began leading the people out first one by one and then tens and then hundreds and then thousands as the guards stood there because this man had the courage to confront them it is a fact of history that no Jew was ever deported to the death camps from Bulgaria because the actions of that one man. This is our scripture. This is who we are. This is what Diane was talking about. This is who we will be. Let me pray, and then the band is going to lead us in a song as we close. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Teach us, Lord, to honour, to respect, to stand for one another. Teach us through this winter to come, to be on the side of those who don't enjoy the privileges we have. Teach us as we share ourselves that we find life and we find privilege and we find warmth and we find shelter. This is our prayer together. Amen.